session. This is all in for the love of the game. This is Love Set Match. Andre Agassi had this goal, you don't have to be better than everyone else in the draw when you go out on the court. Like, you have to be better than someone that's across the net. I think you got to stay active in a sport sense, you know, go out there, do some sports. I think it always makes you feel better, maybe you're more tired in the very moment, but actually the rest of the day feels better. And then I think giving back as well, you know, making other people happy is going to give you a good feeling too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles. We're back with the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. As you know, Tennis Pal Chronicles is sponsored by Tennis Pal, which is a great app you can download for Android or iPhone and find people to play tennis with as well as find a coach. Yes, and uh, most of us need coaches. Don't fool yourself. Today is a very special podcast episode sharing an interview with Dr. Esther Lee, who is a physical therapist for Serena and Venus Williams, as well as other top professional athletes like gold medal snowboarder Sean White. She's also a personal friend, so throughout the talk, I'm probably going to be saying Esther instead of Dr. Lee as I should be. We can't have a Serena-themed podcast without your Serena Williams fan favorite reporter, Valerie Garcia. Hi, Valerie. How are you? Hey, Philip. I'm doing good. I'm uh, excited to be here. Thank you. And I can't wait to talk about uh, Dr. Lee. She is amazing. And Serena. So yeah, I'm happy we get to, you know, focus on them today. That's great. Yeah, I feel like this podcast uh, brings a lot of my worlds together because obviously I love tennis and, you know, it's my passion and Serena is involved, but also it involves the Hirschberg Foundation, which I work with, and they are dedicated to researching pancreatic cancer at UCLA Medical Center and really just trying to find a cure. And it's just crazy that these two worlds collided because Dr. Esther Lee came to the Hirschberg Foundation um, in, in search of support. And, um, and then Serena got involved, as we'll find out later in the episode. But it's just amazing that these two worlds are coming together. Yes. And uh, I'm, I'm just so excited to, to know you. Philip, for those who don't know, Philip is just the best person. Um, he, you wouldn't know it because he won't brag about himself, but he's always doing for others. And uh, this this foundation is just one of many that he's a part of. And I feel just special to know you. And I hope everyone who listens knows how wonderful you are and the and the time and energy you give to all of these things that are greater than yourself, these events and these movements and these projects. It's really cool. Oh gosh. Thank you so much, Valerie. And you are amazing in volunteering for one of these pancreatic cancer foundation events called tour to peer. And we just had a blast there putting together an incredible spin cycle event in Manhattan beach. So thank you so much for volunteering your time and you are amazing. I, I, I think I'm only a sum of the people I surround myself with. So thank you for being one of the, the major influences in my life. I love being around you. Cool. Well, I think it's amazing how you meet these other people who are next level amazing. And I can't wait for everyone to hear 
this interview. Well, how is Serena doing lately? What's she been up to? Well, f- from what I know, I mean, she hasn't been answering my calls lately, so I'm guessing <laughs> I'm guessing she's pretty busy cuz that's normally not like her. Usually like I te- before I even hit send, she's already responding. Um, <laughs> You're on the same way. Totally. She's like I just felt Valerie was reaching out. Uh, okay, but my best way of following her is is through her Instagram, and it seems like you know there's there's not a lot going on. She's promoting her um, Serena or Oneris, um her clothing line a lot. There's lots of videos with her and her daughter having fun, um, and date nights with her husband, which are really cute. So it looks like she's just living the the nice, relaxed family life and enjoying it. Uh, I know King Richard is coming out soon. So Will Smith has made a cameo on her Instagram feed, which is cool. Will Smith, who is playing her father. Yes. Richard Williams. Which it comes out like what? November something. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the second week of November or something. Uh, I can't wait to see it. So yeah, it seems like Serena is, like you said, living her best life. But recently she posted a really heartfelt Instagram story where she was talking about, well, she was just crying really. And uh, what what did you think of that? Yes, um, she was very moved and shaken to make that announcement. Uh, for those that don't know, she was talking about Dr. Lee, who's on, on the podcast today, her personal trainer and the event and, and going out and supporting it. And she, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anything that Serena's done where she's been so incredibly emotional. And to put yourself out there like that, because she is a woman of power. I mean, you know, one of the strongest women icons that we have in our world and really identifies with that. And how beautiful that she would allow herself to be so vulnerable and to just you know, break down uh, and not even be able to really finish the video without crying because she's so moved by her friend Esther. Yes. Yes. You could tell they mean a lot to each other. It's really sweet and special. Well, just some background on Dr. Lee, my friend Esther. I mean, she's been with both Serena and Venus and been by their side for most of their incredible and historic career. And you often see Esther in the player's box in past matches. Uh, she'll be there. I, I thought it was kind of cool when I was searching, asked what Serena can't live without. She talked about this Milani stay put waterproof eyeliner pencil, which I know nothing about, (laughs) (laughs) but I thought it was so funny. It was one of the things that uh, Serena can't live without. And she says in the interview that her physical therapist, Esther, introduced her and Venus to it. And uh, so that they share a lot of makeup tips together. So I thought that was really sweet, right? That she's had that kind of influence on her. But of course, on a more serious note, um, there's a story that Serena actually credits Esther for saving her life when Dr. Lee insisted that Serena rush to the hospital instead of going to a gala event at the signs of a life-threatening medical issue that Serena was having. And uh, because of that, Serena says that she is just forever grateful to Esther and goes to that level of depth. I, I believe that she actually, Esther... Dr. Lee actually lived with Serene and Venus in the same house for six years. Yes, I, she mentioned so, that in the in her interview. Not to give away any spoilers, so that's, but that's a very, very minor detail. 
<laughs> I mean, you know, to to live in the the house of greatness uh, during those incredible years. That's just I can't imagine, you know, what that is like. Yes, right? so cool. She said she even like she tucked them into bed. No. <laughs> Not not literally, but she said she would be turning, like you know, turning the lights off. Good night. <laughs> right. That's how, how cool is that? Yeah. So I mean, knowing how much Esther influenced Serena and Venus's life, it's no wonder that the goat of women's tennis took to all platforms of social media in this like cry for help for her friend. Right. And Serena is literally crying in the video, asking to support Esther in this time of need and. Uh, I think what was really beautiful also is the response to Serena's post. So, you know, already there's been like four, 4,500 likes on Twitter and over 500,000, half a million views on Instagram of this with thousands and thousands of comments and and people saying, we're praying for you, Esther, you know, and I, some of the more notable people who said it, not that every comment isn't notable, but Sloane Stevens, you know, says, praying for you, Esther. Serena's coach's name, Patrick mm-hmm. Moratagalu, I believe his last name is. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Thanks. That's a tough uh, one. You know, he said, you know, we love you, Esther. And just knowing that she was on tour for six years means that she made a ton of friends, right? I mean, she's in the Serena camp. The tennis world is a very small family as they're all on tour. They're seeing each other literally every week, right? And they're getting to know each other, get, seeing each other's families and and uh, coaches and the staff and all of the people that probably met Esther while on tour at that level. And just to see that outpouring of all of those people, and I'm sure more is to come uh, as the story breaks and, and gets out wider. And even outside of that, uh, Bryant McKinney, the NFL All-Pro, you know, posted like prayer emoji signs uh, for Esther. And so it's just so beautiful what Serena is doing because I don't know that people would care as much about this about my beautiful friend if it wasn't for Serena's platform. So I'm so grateful for that. Uh, the story's been covered by like Tennis.com, Fox News, Republic World, and so many other news outlets. So really, really beautiful that this this is being raised up to that level. And hopefully, you know, all of that love will do some really positive work inside uh, Esther's body because a lot of it is really just the medical side, but also the emotional side, you know, and, and the hope um, that things can go forward. Yes, it sounds like she's uh, mentally in a in a good place. So that's, you know, that's really important, I think, and good to see. Yeah. So let's let's listen to this interview. We get a real behind the scenes feel for what it's like for the life of a PT for a top athlete. And we go in depth with her personal struggle with pancreatic cancer and why Serena is sending out such a tearful call for help. Really appreciate you guys tuning in and listening and really appreciate Tennis Pal for sponsoring this. Let's listen to this powerful story of hope with Dr. Esther Lee. Uh, My name is Esther Lee. Um, You could say DPT if you want a doctor of physical therapy. And I am 43 years old and I live here in Woodland Hills, California. So I was born in Rockford, Illinois. It's like an hour outside of Chicago. And my parents immigrated from South Korea. And I'm the third 
had them the baby of three and all of us were born in the same hospital in Little Rockford, Illinois. And my family moved around a lot, but um, we started in Rockford, then went to Los Angeles, then we went to Fairfax, Virginia, and then we moved to Toronto uh, when I was six. And then I did all my formative years there. And then we moved to actually to Seattle when I was 16. Then I, um, from Seattle, then I went down to Southern California for grad school. And then uh, I moved to Hawaii for two years. Then I moved back to LA. <laughs> then I moved to Florida for work. And then I now am back in LA, so. And all these little moves in between, but uh, I've moved a lot. But um, so let's see. I, yeah, a lot of it is just kind of a lot of transition in my life. And um, partly in the beginning was mainly from family moving. And then uh, since college, I just started moving a lot on my own. So. Mm, that's kind of the moving or living locations that I've had. And how many brothers and sisters do you have? So I have one older brother, his name is Ricky, and um, my older sister, Anna, and then it's me. And, do you want to introduce and then them? my dog, Ollie, he's a Maltipoo, and he is four. And he's been my first dog, my first pet, and he's been amazing. He's now licking the cameraman. <laughs> Come here, puppies. Do you want to come say hi? He sometimes growls. <laughs> oh, that was not bad. You want to say hi? <laughs> he's he's he my baby. Like sometimes he doesn't. He likes to like do things on his own terms. <laughs> so, but he's getting used to it because I love to hold him and I love to pick him up and but then. He'll growl and then he'll calm down and like give me kisses at the same time. How did Ollie come to you? Um, I always, well, I guess I always kind of liked dogs, but especially more so. I would say actually when I was working with some clients that had a bunch of dogs and I just fell in love with them and they would always tell me, like, get your own dog. Because I would always do this. I would hold their dogs and be like, oh, they're so cute. And, um, yeah, they'd be like, you need to get your own dog. So once I finally settled down, I got him four years ago. And he's been awesome. He's been just by my side and, like, literally like this. We'll just cuddle all day. So he's great. And you mentioned clients. So what vocation do you work? So I'm a, oh, I'm a physical therapist, and I um, got my doctorate at Chapman University in Orange, California, and um, I graduated, gosh, 16 years ago. So I've been very fortunate to have a great career, and I started off Actually, that's when I moved to Hawaii because I felt like I just got to get my feet wet in the career. And um, I just was like, I'm gonna, I always wanted to move to Hawaii and um, just kind of live the lifestyle of 
being at the beach and, and nice weather. I grew up in Toronto, so it was like, hated the cold weather. So I always kind of gravitated towards warmer places such as California. And so once I finished grad school, I felt like, oh, you know, it's my chance to kind of mm, make more, more decisions that were, <laughs> more decisions. <laughs> make more decisions that kind of were uh, less structured, I guess, and um, check off some personal goals as well. So um, I moved to Hawaii, I worked at a, um, a clinic that also had a bunch of occupational therapists as well. And so I worked there for two years, two years, and then I got a job opportunity to come back to a clinic um, that was actually one of my internships in grad school. And the owner invited me back. And it was this um, outpatient clinic in Beverly Hills. And um, I really liked that clinic because it kind of went along with, there's so many ways to be a physical therapist. And it, w it allowed me to, to be a PT, of the type that I really believed in and um, just doing a lot of manual work. And uh, so, <laughs> sorry, he's, he's giving me lots of, <laughs> you wanna get down? Um, sorry, so, um, so yeah, I, I worked in this clinic uh, for two and a half years. Um, and then from there, I met one of my very first clients, and uh, um, so I met Serena Williams, and she was my patient, and um, um, just for less than a handful of sessions, actually, but um, she just started asking me a bunch of questions during our during our session, and I was like, wow, she's so friendly. She just wants to get to know me, and meanwhile, she's kind of interviewing me, but I was like, you know, I wasn't really thinking along those lines, but I was like, wow, she's so friendly. And then um, she came back and um, I remember she was on her way to the Australian Open and she lives in Florida and would stop in LA and then spend the day. Now I know the routine that you spend the day in LA and then you take a flight to Australia. And um, yeah, I remember she, I guess from all the training, she had um, some difficulty and some pain. And I didn't really follow tennis. I followed a little bit of tennis on TV when I was younger because my brother really liked tennis, but I you know, wasn't really up on it at that time. And so I was like, oh, let me just see how she's doing. And um, she won that year and I was like, whoa, I guess I, you know, helped take away a little bit of pain and she came back after that tournament and um, came back on my schedule and I was like oh that's you know maybe good news that she's back on my schedule and she she came in and was like oh I told Venus about you and I was like oh my gosh she wasn't just trying to get to you know uh you know be friendly and um so that kind of led to eventually I started working with Venus and Serena um I had no idea what I was getting into actually but um 
it was an amazing experience of six years of traveling full time with them around the world, which I didn't realize it was such a long season and that I would be able to travel around the world. And um, so that kind of led me into this whole new area of my career of uh, once I resigned after six years, I moved back to LA and um, just started having my own private clients and um, going to their homes or offices or um, like work sites. And then that led also to traveling with some of them as well. So I've been very fortunate to travel with um, uh, like a snowboarder and around the world, go to another Olympics. Um, as I went to the Olympics with um, Venus and Serena, then I just did the Korean Olympics a few years ago. And then um, since then, I've also been on a couple music tours with some clients. And, and I also was able to do a movie with one of my clients a few years ago. So I've been very fortunate to have like such a variety of experiences because of my career. And, um, and yeah, so I've been very blessed in that way to kind of enjoy, I don't know, my career in, in such a wonderful environment and um, just experiences that not a lot of people ever can experience in their lifetime. And, um, but also be able to really love what I do. I love what I do for work and I think that's always so important. Can you share with us uh, one of your favorite uh, stories on tour uh, with Serena? On tennis tour. Oh, yeah. gosh. There's so, so many. many. Um, hmm. I mean, there's always the, the four Grand Slams are just like just the bigger level of things. And um, the pressure is greater, but also the reward is as great, you know, when when there's that much pressure and um, the celebration, the celebration is just awesome. I mean, my very, uh, my very first tournament was the Miami open when I first started. And so that kind of always has held a special place in my heart. But um, I would have to say like, man, Wimbledon's one of my favorites, I think, because it's such a beautiful venue. The grass is just so perfectly green and there's not one little brown spot on it when you arrive and then by the time you leave, there's you know a lot of wear and tear in the, in the grass. But um, we've had a lot of success there as a team um, in singles and doubles. And then also the Olympics was there, the one that I was able to be a part of. So. Wimbledon, I think, will always be a very special place. And, and it's like you all stay in the village, and so you, you kind of live close to the tournament as well. And, and there's like, it's a really cute village and all these little local restaurants and bars. And so you, it's almost like living in a little bubble during the tournament, you see all the players walking around at night um, for dinner and stuff. But uh, I don't know if I have any particular, 
I mean, the Olympics was really fun. Was, uh, we just, like making it to the Olympics, you already made the team. So you're already just so happy to be there. And then there's that like team, you know, camaraderie as well of, of like, you're decked out in red, white, and blue every day. So you're kind of like in this costume party every day. And, but yet there's this, you know, with tennis, it's, it's an individual sport. So you don't usually have that, even though you're, you're another American athlete, you don't really have that. You don't experience that on a regular tour day. But for the Olympics, it's like, it's like a different level. And, um, you know, there was this joke that, like, one of the players um, said, like, oh, you never even say hi to me when it's on a normal tour day, but at the Olympics, you're, like, you know, super, super nice. or because Yeah, and there's just this whole, like, pin trading thing that we used to really get into. But you have these pins that are, like, you know, USA uh, t tennis. And that's kind of your way to break ice with other athletes from different countries. So we made it like such a huge competition, another competition where we would see who got the most, um, you know, pins. And every day we would pull out our new pins and be like, what'd you get? And, you know, oh, I need this country and that country. So um, it kind of just made every day um, just something unique and different. And that definitely was one of my favorite, um, favorite experiences and memories. And then on top of it, uh, Serena won gold that year and then the girls won gold for doubles. So it was, I mean, it was the best results that we could ask for. So um, um, yeah, so that was by far, I think one of my favorite memories. And you're a part of the family when you're yeah, and because, like, being, I literally lived with them for four and a half of those six years in their house, and um, we did everything together, and um, literally would turn off their lights to say goodnight for a lot of those days, and um, so we're still family, and uh, we're still really close, which is really nice to to kind of let go of that employee kind of a role and then be able to just focus on our friendship has been just so amazing since then. So, yeah, so we're still really close. Mm -hmm. So in July 2020, yes. uh, yeah. you received some news. Can you share it with us? Yeah, so I've always had a very active life since childhood, was really into sports, and um, I just, uh, I don't know. And also, I've also been such a high energy, like uh, super busy, running at 100 miles an hour with my schedules and and, you know, added with my with my job, just kind of demanding a lot of just being on top of everything. And um, so I kind of was still going at that pace about a year ago. And I started feeling a little, um, a little 
out of shape, which is really weird. I had just done a triathlon several months um, prior to, and it was my first triathlon, checked it off. I was like, never again. <laughs> but I kind of did it because um, I have a fear of the ocean. And, you know, I've always been a big long, long distance runner and, um, you know, bought my first road bike and something I always wanted to do. But uh, swimming, especially in the ocean, was definitely not my strength and one of my biggest fears. So I signed up for triathlon. So I was, what I thought in my mind, in pretty good shape. And I completed it and um, felt great. And um, But I just felt out of shape. And I remember actually t January 2020, I went to my doctor and I told him like, oh, I'm not sleeping well. I was going through this period where I slept like maybe, I think it was like two, three weeks. I could only sleep three hours every night. And I started kind of losing my mind because I was like, you know, you're so exhausted. You just don't really tolerate anything like physically, mentally. And so I went to him and I was like, oh, I, I just feel really tired. and and out of shape and, um, you know, I was still going to the gym and playing beach volleyball, but I just felt exhausted. And so he, he kind of focused and strangely enough, my blood tests came out normal. And so he was like, why don't you get this book called Good, Say Goodnight to Insomnia? And so he thought like, oh, maybe it's a case of insomnia. That's why I'm tired. And so I, I read the book and I was like, okay, let me just try to, I don't know, change my mentality towards sleeping. Um, so fast forward, I COVID hit and, um, you know, I wasn't going to the gym anymore, but I was running in my neighborhood. And it actually was running that kind of made me realize something was really off and I used to joke that I had COVID only when I ran because it was really hard for me to breathe. It felt like my, like if I could say my bra strap was too tight and um, I couldn't really expand my lungs. And, um, but I would still go on, force myself to run this three mile like loop that I had near my house. And I was still playing beach volleyball and still riding my bike and but the running thing was like really stuck out to me because I never felt like, if I was out of shape, I felt really heavy. I never felt like I couldn't breathe. So, um, and then I actually started to, I thought, oh, as a physical therapist, I thought, oh, maybe my diaphragm is spasmed. So I remember like reach, you kind of reach under your ribs and you release your diaphragm and I was like, gosh, I feel something on the left and it's like a little painful. And I actually felt kind of like a lump. And so of course in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm not even thinking that it could be anything horrible, you know? So I kept trying to release it and I was like, wow, my diaphragm is so spasmed, it won't release. And, um, 
then of course I let like a couple months go by and my upper abdomen started to kind of stick out and look like I was gaining weight. So I thought, oh, well maybe when you get older, you, you gain weight differently. Cause I never really gained weight on the upper abdomen. And um, so I was just trying to make sense of it. And, but then I started like losing the ability to eat. And even before, like, I wouldn't eat all day and then be like, wait, I, I should be hungry, but I don't feel like I'm hungry. And when I would eat, I wouldn't be able to eat that much. And so actually one of my really good friends came into town and she's a athletic trainer. And so thankfully she was staying with me and she actually came into town to get a procedure done. And I mean, it's silly, but I was, I was, uh, we were doing our nails together at my house and I had put my foot up on this, my ottoman and I was trying to paint my toenails. And I remember just being in this position with my knees up, I, I couldn't breathe. And so, um, I was like, ugh, you know, I'll just, I'm good. I'm just going to stop. And she was like, you really should call your doctor. And um, and I was like, yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm getting these weird symptoms. And I showed her my belly. And so I called my doctor the next day and we were on a video chat because of COVID. It had become such a big thing to have video consultations. And so um, I explained all my symptoms and then I said, well, look at my belly. And I turned sideways and I lifted my shirt up and I was like, I've never gained weight like this. And um, so he said, well, why don't we do some blood work? I'm going to order you a CT scan. And so I went in immediately after I got off um, the the phone and I went to go get my blood work and then scheduled my CT scan then the following evening. And then, um, yeah, so I wasn't really thinking much of it. And then, um, so July 29th, he called me in the morning, was the morning after my CT scan. It was so quick. So I, he called me and he was like, uh, you... Your CT results came back and you have a mass on your pancreas and you, uh, based on your blood test, you, your liver's inflamed. So, uh, so I was like, okay. And, and, and uh, but the next thing he said was, do you have support around you? And I thought like, why is he, he's like, do you have family around you? And, and in my mind, I'm like, why is he asking me that? That's so weird. Um, and I was like, yeah, my sister lives an hour away. And he was like, okay, good. Um, I just want to make sure you have support around you. And um, so I was like, hmm, I, maybe I should be a little more freaked out than I want to be. So anyway, that, that was the end of our conversation. He's like, I'm going to, or he was like, I'm going to schedule a biopsy for you. Um, you know, and so me thinking biopsy, okay, that, that's not good. But he never said anything beyond that. So I thought, okay. So I was like freaking out. I called my sister. She jumped in her car and came over right away. And, um, 
I was emotional just thinking like, oh my gosh, I need a biopsy. That's so weird. And, um, but so I was like, something in me was like, I don't think he's telling me everything. He's holding back on something. So the next day, the next morning, I texted him and I said, hey, can you send me my CT report? And me being a physical therapist and can read everything. Well, the first thing that I read was, um, it said oncological findings. And I thought, okay, you don't just casually write oncological findings, which means, you know, cancerous findings. And um, so in the same report that he was telling me about, it said, you know, pancreatic mass, large pancreatic mass, and um, and then like metastasis, which is something I learned in grad school was like, you don't want to see metastasis. And so it said to my liver. And uh, I just remember looking at the report and thinking like, okay, is this, did he send me the wrong one? And I kept looking at the name and the birthday and I was like, okay, that's me, that's me. And then I just kept reading it over and over again and I texted him I said, um, I don't think they use the word oncological casually. Am I reading the right thing? And he said, yes. And so I just was very emotional for basically for the next several days until my biopsy. And um, mm, I think everything kind of just is a little bit of a blur. I remember bits and pieces of it and um, just making some phone calls, mostly text messages because I couldn't talk pretty much. I was just crying so much. But um, yeah, it wasn't until I was it, like all prepped for my biopsy that my, my, uh, my doctor said, oh, it could be a neuroendocrine tumor, which just by the shape of it, it's round. Um, and typically neuroendocrine tumors are very round. And he's like, we won't know for sure, obviously, until we get the results from your biopsy. But if it is this, then it's the better of the pancreatic cancers to have. And so um, I, I never even heard of neuroendocrine tumors before, and I never knew there was a better cancer to have. And so he really gave me a lot of hope, but he kept saying, let's just, I don't wanna go down this road and tell you too much because if it isn't, you know, I don't wanna go too far. So um, anyway, fast forward then, that's what I ended up having. And, um, but to rewind a little bit, when I first got, like, oh my gosh, you have pancreatic cancer. My grandmother, who was in her 80s, like mid 80s, late 80s, um, she also had dementia, but was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And um, the day she found out, she went home on foot and laid down and never woke up. And she, she died two weeks later. So in my mind, I was like, oh my God, that like I have weeks to live. So, um, so hearing about neuroendocrine, I was like, oh, this is so, this is like the best news. And my brother and sister and I were laughing because we we're like, yay, you know, like she's got cancer. She's got good cancer. And so we're like, this is kind of weird to be celebrating, but we're like, 
it will take whatever celebrations we can get right now. So that was kind of, that was my July um, uh, 2020. So, and then, yeah, and then a lot more after that, but that was my July. <laughs> so you've already started telling us a little bit about how friends and family have responded, but uh, as the word starts to get out, how have people been responding to you? Mm, I mean, it's been, I think like sometimes in life, it's like you, I think, and I've always said this, and maybe this is um, what's really helped me through this whole journey is that like, I really believe the hardest experiences that I've had in my life, I've learned the best lessons from. And, um, and I think one of the greatest gifts from from my diagnosis and my whole journey is like seeing how amazing my community is. And I'm still a little emotional about it, but um, I think I need to gather myself a little bit. But, um, These are happy tears. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm still in the middle of it, that it's still very emotional, but hmm. happy tears, happy tears. <laughs> I promise they're happy tears, but um, yeah, I think being diagnosed and um, I think for the first time in my life feeling um, hopeless or not hopeless, helpless, helpless. Um, you know, I've always kind of prided myself on being this strong, independent kid and, and going into becoming an independent woman. Like it was, uh, it's, it was definitely a weird thing to be the caretaker and then all of a sudden the patient and, um, you know, reaching out to family and friends, the same thing everyone told me. Like, literally everyone told me, like, once I told them about my diagnosis was, um, you finally get to receive. And they're like, you know, you're always giving and giving, and um, you better learn how to receive. And so it kind of... It was really tough at first. I had some arguments with my sister because I was like, I can still walk, so let me walk. And, you know, I can still carry this. Let me let me carry it. And I, I had no idea. Like, I had never had surgery. I'd never been in the hospital, so I had no idea what was to come. But I said, hey, look, as long as I could do it, let me do it. And we would get in arguments because she's like, no. You know, save your energy, let me do it. And um, so it really was hard to let go of, like, my independence. Um, and, um, but, yeah, everyone stepped up, like, beyond my imagination. And um, a lot of my friendships have, have, like, deepened and gotten stronger and... Um, by far the strongest relationships have been with my brother and sister. And um, they really stepped into 
to literally move in with me and take care of me. And um, there was a point where I couldn't even really stand. Um, and so they, yeah, I mean, I've been really blown away with um, just humanity, I guess, and the belief in, in people and, and like the, the ability to see how unselfish people could be. Not that I have very selfish people around me, but like it just is to a whole different level. And, um, you know, and I think especially because I always was kind of pushy with me being the giver um, in a lot of friendships and relationships. Um, for me to, to back off from that and allow allow other people to kind of show how much they enjoy giving and give them the opportunity as well uh, was very eye-opening. Um, maybe even not just for me, but for them as well to to kind of, I don't know, it, for me it feels good to give and to help. And um, I th think like, I was able to experience that, to witness that, and and watch pe people be able to do that for me. And um, I mean, the gifts that I've been given, the messages I've received, um, the gift literally of this house that I live in, um, the gift of like quality, deep conversations. Um, I I have said this multiple times that like I kind of feel really blessed because um, when you're given a diagnosis that is life-threatening um, I've been very fortunate to live through it and I feel like I've lived through my funeral if I could say so like I lived through people telling me how much I mean to them and um sending me flowers and gifts as if it was my funeral. And um, yes, I, I think now talking to people, some people really, well, none of us knew if I would make it through or not. Or um, so you kind of like, yeah, a lot of people have, have admitted that there were moments where they were really concerned and worried, especially when I started really losing a lot of weight and uh, looking really sick. Um, I feel, I feel like, you know, I think of people who have tragically passed away uh, without any notice, and um, interestingly enough, to live through cancer during COVID is like makes me feel very fortunate. It makes me feel like I'm lucky I have cancer. I don't have COVID. And um, because people have lost people within days and weeks and um, because of this new thing called COVID and I have cancer, the thing that everyone's scared of and I'm still here. So I feel like there's, I have so many blessings to look back on and and to appreciate today and and for the rest of my life. I I, just, I don't think I'll ever see life the same um, because of, um, yeah, I think 
in my mind, coming to think I was going to die within days and weeks, and then to now be here, um, what is it, I don't know, 13, 14 months later, and to still be doing well and actually be getting stronger. So I feel like, wow, I've been given truly a second chance to to see life in a whole different light. And um, it's uh, not only life, but people have taught me that, like, you just got to try to be present. And, like, we're only promised today. Or not even today. I'm not, I don't even know if I'll be here tonight, you know. But in this moment, this is the only time that you're guaranteed. So... Um, it's made me realize so much about like how much I worry about the future and how much I could focus on the past. And those things I've really had time to sort through in my mind of like, for me, it was hard to let go of my past. And well, my life was like this and my energy was like this and my lifestyle was like this. But I've had to learn to let go of that because I don't, know if my life's going to return to that but but what I do know is today I'm here and I can sit and I can breathe and I have no no needles in me I have no medication I'm on um I don't have a headache right now I you know I'm not nauseous and that there's so much to be thankful for and I don't know like sitting here um, I I want to soak in more of like what is guaranteed right now, and even though I might not be here tonight, maybe like I don't know, I I could think of a million things. Something could fall on my head if I walk outside, and I won't be here tonight. You you just never know, and you hear about all these tragic stories of, you know, I've thought a lot about like Kobe Bryant, like he you would never have guessed that he would be gone in an instant and um and all those you know uh yeah I mean that's just one example but we're not guaranteed to live this full full life that we just all assume is going to be up to 80 90 100 you know whatever and and that's something we just kind of assume and we kind of take life for granted because we assume we have more time. Oh, I'll get to that later or I'll I'll be better next time. We'll be better now because this is your chance that's like, I don't know, that you you can do it now. Why not do it now, you know, and why not appreciate now to your best ability and it's really taught me a lot to um to love the people the best that i can to live with integrity the best that i can and you know i'm not perfect and nobody's perfect but i've really learned like we're all just trying (laughs) like nobody has it all figured out and and you know no matter how many years we've been here um, you're always learning something new. You know, I've never been here at 43 years of age. And so 
I'm still learning, even though I have 40 years under my belt or 43 years under my belt, I'm still new at dealing with cancer and dealing with being 43. I don't know, you know, and I just have to learn to be easier on myself and easier on everyone else because we're all in the same boat trying to figure out how to be better, hopefully. <laughs> Some people don't think about it as much, but hopefully we're all trying. And um, it's taught me a lot about really appreciating the family and friends that I have and who've been so amazing. And um, yeah, it's put a whole different spin on my life. So. Part of your new family and your community is the Hirschberg Foundation. Yeah. And how did you find them? Um, so my chaplain, um, Michael, he, he's at the Sims Man um, Center at UCLA. And I was introduced to him through my chaplain, um, um, Dina, Dina. Um, I want to say Dina, my memory's so bad, but, um, I had a chaplain when I was in the hospital for the second time, um, cause I had some lung complications, but, um, she introduced me to Michael and he's been incredible. He's been such an amazing emotional support. I tell him all the time that I feel bipolar with him because it's either I'm having, you know, a crazy emotional week or, um, which is sometimes really happy and very grateful and some moments are really sad and um or confusing or whatever he's walked me through a lot of things that um I've had to kind of sort through um dealing with uh, the changes that my life has gone through with cancer and the self-doubt and the loss of self-esteem at moments. Um, but, um, yeah, he's been amazing. And he, he always encouraged me to, to reach out to support groups and, um, and I just never felt ready. I felt that I, and he agreed with me as he got to know me better, but I, I, tend to be a little better one-on-one -on -one. typically in my life. I just like the ability to go deeper in conversation and um, in relationship. And so um, he has always been like, I don't, yeah, he, I guess I'm like, you know, he, he thought of, I guess there was, there was this webinar that Hirschberg was doing and he thought of me and he, he sent me an email and said, like, I don't know if you'd like to, but this is, you know, this would, would maybe be a great webinar for you. And it was the, the webinar that um, included three cancer survivors, pancreatic cancer survivors, um, who've survived 10, 20, and 30 years. And so to me, I felt like at that moment um, was kind of what I needed. Um, to feel encouraged that that could be me and that could be me sharing my story at 10, 20, 30 years. And um, because my other fear of being in support groups was feeling discouraged and hearing these like stories where people were struggling and 
weren't living very long and that was my greatest fear and so I thought oh this has a very positive spin on it I think that's kind of what I need and so so I signed up for it and um, since I was home anyway not really doing much so I thought oh this would be great and um, so yeah that was my first thing I joined on the webinar and I was so encouraged by what everyone shared because a lot of it I understood and felt finally understood by someone because most of my friends and family don't have cancer. So uh, I felt very, it can be a very lonely process of, of people trying to understand and I don't expect them to understand, but there's a lot that it's 24 seven going on in your mind. And um, so it was nice to, to hear their stories and um, and yeah, I, I also remember that like, uh, the intro to the webinar, um, they introduced Aggie, um, the founder and it was her birthday and she, she was crying cause she was so happy to share her birthday with, with people like, and you know, who had cancer and, I thought, wow, that's that's pretty awesome that she's she really cares and um, and to the point of like crying, but also it was the one thing she wanted to do for her birthday, and I was like, wow. So I I that kind of really um, was was very significant for me. And the whole, the whole experience of that was um, just what I needed. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of negative, um, uh, well, not negative, but okay, yeah, getting a diagnosis is not positive news. So it, that whole thing is like, it comes with a lot of, negative feelings of fear and anxiety and, um, you know, and, and so it just felt like, yeah, the Hirschberg Foundation, and I was going to say family just naturally, but it has, they've been my family since then, and just naturally is very organic, and um, everyone is so genuine, and to me, I've always felt like I'm pretty good at reading people like fairly quickly and and I just felt that from day one and literally every person I've met through the Hirschberg family, I call them family instead of foundation, but like mm, they've really been such a consistent uh, encouragement in my life um, since January. It's only been January, so what is that, nine months? But um, it's definitely been such a key um, key addition to to my life. So I'm very thankful. And you were chosen as an honorary starter. Yeah. The LA Cancer Challenge. Can you talk about that? Um, yeah, I, I so um, when I joined the webinar with the, um, the first webinar, I naturally, like, once I was, it finished, I went to the website and I was like, just so in a good mood and so happy and just felt so, um, 
motivated. And so I went through their website and I purchased some hats and thought like, I'm gonna make my family all wear these hats and these beanies. And, um, and then I was just looking through the website and I saw that there was the LA Cancer Challenge and it's so up my alley to to sign up for races because I I've done a couple of full marathons and a whole bunch of half marathons and and triathlon and and one triathlon <laughs> yeah I blocked it out but um, but I I've always done those things actually most of the times I've signed up for races is to give myself a goal and to give myself. Um, motivation to get to the gym or get go outside and run and so I thought oh perfect this is this is a great challenge for me it was January but I signed up for this cancer challenge in October little did I know that I signed up so early it was actually I signed up for last year's (laughs) walk or challenge and so, um, yeah, I signed up and I was like, I'm going to get my team to sign up. So I signed up my whole team. And I guess later did I find out that they were kind of laughing at me signing up so early that I had entered into 2019, what, 2020s? Yeah, 2020s walk. And um, so, yeah, one day... Um, you know, that was it. I didn't think much of it. I thought, oh, it would be a great thing for me to just get myself to walk and um, and giving myself the belief that I could do it as well. And one day Amy called me and said, oh, you know, we have every year we choose one person to be our honorary starter and we would like for you to be the honorary starter. And she continued to explain, like, what that meant. And I was so glad that she was explaining because, meanwhile, I was like, "Ah!" like, I was uncontrollably crying because I thought, oh, wow, what? Like, you chose me? I don't even know if I can walk the whole thing, but okay. And at that time, I was like, you know, I think going through cancer, you just kind of lose a lot of your confidence and um, at that time was struggling a little bit with my my confidence and I thought wow okay you know and I was so honored to be the honorary starter and for them to choose me and I know it's um, their impact is huge throughout the nation and I'm sure around the world as well but to choose little me, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and I honestly, I've never been chosen for anything. I don't think I got a little tennis trophy award, but like, I, I haven't really gotten a lot of, you know, um, I'm not used to being chosen, you know, single-handed. So, um, it's been such a great honor and it's been, um, also, just a great encouragement to me to to really be open about sharing about my story and about my journey and the things that I've learned from it. Um, it's I've I tend to be a little more private, but 
actually with this whole diagnosis and this whole experience, it's really helped me to be more open because the stories that I've read and the, the stories that I've heard of people going through cancers helped me tremendously. And I realized if I can help someone else um, just feel understood and um, I would really like to do that. And um, so, yeah, this kind of helps, like, kind of give me the nudge to be a little more open about, um, you know, being okay with sharing my story. So. And do you mind sharing some of the people who are going to walk with you or supporting you? Oh, yeah. So I, I started this Caring Bridge um, uh I guess online journal, it's, it's like a website where people going through a lot of like health um, challenges can share their story and do little journals. And I started that during my whole, um, I don't know, the, I started writing, it actually started off with long text message um, updates to like my clients and my friends and my family. And I would literally cut and paste that same message. It was so not efficient at all. And it started to become really stressful. So I started this Caring Bridge and I called my Caring Bridge team Esther. And so I carried that into, hey, team Esther, let's do this um, cancer challenge. And so I have, um, most of my family is, is joining in and I have some friends and some clients that have um, have um, promised or have signed up. And um, so, yeah, I have, I'm just excited. People are like, are you going to run? Knowing me, they're like, are you going to run, Esther? Like, you're probably going to try to run. And, and I'm like, no, actually, believe it or not, I just want to walk. Because to me, it's a very celebratory um very symbolic walk through the UCLA campus where I had my surgery and where I continue to get my scans and see my doctors and um, and to be with the Hirschberg family. Um, yeah, I have, um, yeah, I have a great team that's still being formed till, the, till this moment. Um, just got someone else that just joined. And um, I don't know, for me, it's just, I really feel like if it's someone I'm super close to or just, I just want to encourage whoever, even if you're a stranger, um, the beautiful thing about charities and walks like this that are for a greater purpose, it, you, you, there's this weird bond, not weird, but this wonderful bond where you really do feel like a big family. And um, so that's my goal, whether I've known you for my whole life or I'm going to meet you that day. I really, um, it's, the, it's the common goal of, of like supporting people with cancer and supporting this foundation that does such wonderful things to encourage people around the world. And... Um, it, like every little thing counts, you know, every dollar counts, every um, gesture counts. So I'm super excited to 
make people wear 80s outfits <laughs> and um, just just have a lot of fun and, and really um, celebrate life, you know, while we're here. So. Hey, Valerie, welcome back. Wow, that was so heartfelt and, uh, and really hard for me to listen to as um, Esther shares her story. But I mean, what an amazing, powerful story of hope also and her idea of, you know, really being strong in the face of adversity and enjoying every moment. I feel like that's, she's talking directly to me because I need this so much. Like I'm always too busy rushing around, trying to do too many things and I'm not enjoying people right in front of me and in the moment and, you know, uh, living like it's uh, the most important day, you know? Yes. I mean, I definitely thought you had it. You hit the nail on the head at the end there that you guys are the same person. (laughs) We because, are. It's so funny. Because you do, yeah, you have a lot in common for sure. Um, but there, look, there's a lot to be said for you. You accomplish a lot, right? And and generally, what you're doing with your time, Philip, is not selfish acts. You're always doing for others. So I think you make a huge impact. And I would not say that any of your time is being wasted <laughs> by <laughs> by being too busy. But yes, yeah, slowing down and really appreciating. Probably the people around you is never a bad idea, but I, I think you're doing all right, kid. <laughs> well, thank you again so much. And I, I feel like when I spent time with Esther, what I got from her was that, you know, we are very similar in our personality makeup and kind of like the the rush ahead. And I mean, she's on a whole different level, right? She's working with completely top athletes in the world. Imagine the pressure of really making sure that they're performing at their very peak, you know, that's yeah. just yeah. insane. And, you know, I mean, not only one athlete, but two, you know, with Serena and Venus. And uh, she actually just came back from Switzerland with Sean White. And, you know, it's just amazing that she's uh, she's so happy that she's able to work again, you know. And so she's finding joys in the very smallest things that – you know, before we're just, we would take for granted. And I feel like in my life, I just take so much for granted and I need to enjoy every tennis ball that I hit, every sunshiny day, you know, every podcast I get to do with Valerie Garcia, you know, everything. (laughs) I need to just be much more grateful um, and live every day to, you know, the, the maximum potential that it has. And I think the maximum potential is really just enjoying relationships because at the end of the day, what is it about, you know? Yep. Yes. Well, she, that was a great interview. You did a great job. And her dog, Ollie's uh, very cute as well. Of course, you know that, like, (laughs) I noticed that. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, just what an inspiration and what a beautiful story to hear. It, It was, it was lovely. And then of course, as tennis fans, like, what, what a joy to hear about the times and the relationship she got to share with the Williams sisters and family. Yeah. 
Well, if you want to support Esther, and I highly encourage you to do it, you can just visit lacancerchallenge.com. And um, and t- in the team section, you'll see Team Esther. So you can join Esther's team, and anyone can register to walk virtually. Or, of course, you can participate in person here in UCLA on the 31st. It's actually a Halloween event, so we all dress up in costume uh, on the event. And it's just so much fun. It's super family-friendly, and it's going to be mean even more to me to be able to be there with Esther. She's our honorary starter. So she's going to stand on stage with me and share her story. And um, Serena apparently is going to be there. And uh, it's just uh, amazing. I think actually Serena said on her Instagram, she was signed up to walk virtually. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So whether you're virtual or you're going to be there, it, it, it it's amazing. Um, but I have inside info that she will actually be there. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. Okay, nice. Then everyone get out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it was, you know, it was funny how, you know, this former number one was able to laugh a little about how she, she will uh, – also be walking and not running, right? Because she mm-hmm. can't quite do that yet. I guess she's still recovering from her hamstring injury. Um, and that was the reason that she withdrew from the U.S. Open. But like you said, she's living her best life. And, you know, we hope there are a lot of Grand Slam tennis days ahead, right, for Serena? Yeah, it's like our three goats are all uh, on crutches right now. <laughs> Which not, three? Not, which three are those to start uh, controversy? Yeah, exactly right. I know, right? Uh, okay, our three older goats, right? Oh, that's funny. The, the older, the older goats. Let's put. If it you want to find out more about pancreatic <laughs> cancer and and get behind the Hirschberg Foundation, it's just pancreatic.org on the web. And I'm really proud to represent the Hirschberg Foundation. Um, they were actually the first pancreatic cancer foundation in America that was started. And previous to this, whenever someone had pancreatic cancer, uh, the statistics and the information would just go into the general idea of of cancer. And so there was no specific research being done and no specific effort to cure specifically pancreatic cancer. So the founder, Aggie Hirschberg, who lost her husband to pancreatic cancer, said, I am not going to stand for this. I'm going to take this on and I'm going to you know, try to help cure pancreatic cancer because nobody should feel the pain that I feel. And and I feel like the people at the foundation are all people who have unfortunately been touched by pancreatic cancer, and that's why they're so caring and so beautiful and really just wanting to do good, and I, I just love being associated with them. So I'm super grateful for uh, what they're doing and for what Serena did for our friend Esther, and I think it's just going to be a beautiful day on the 31st, and we'll definitely up update everyone about Esther's story, keep everyone in the loop. And also just a reminder that November is Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. And this is the disease that took out Steve Jobs, you know, uh, the Pavarotti and so many, uh, Patrick Swayze, so many other really notable people, including, including so many people who are fathers and mothers, uh, grandparents of, um, of us. So, you know, I hope that we'll be able to raise a lot of awareness and get people involved in trying to cure this terrible, terrible disease. Yes. How do I follow? (laughs) (laughs) There's no follow. Well, one of the reasons we're able to do this great podcast and share Esther stories is Tennis Pal. So 
um, I'm just so grateful for them. Yes, and for those of you who, you know, don't remember or need the reminder, Tennis Pal, greatest app you could put on your phone. It's available for iPhones, Androids, any phone. Just go to your app store, Tennis Pal, and it's a great place for you to find people to play tennis with. There's videos with instruction. You can find instructors, you can or coaches. Uh, if you can't meet in person, they can. You can find like a video coach someone who can virtually coach you. It's just a great tool. They even have message boards where you can look. It's almost like a social media for for tennis. Um, Post with your fellow community members when you're playing and how you're doing. And it's just great fun. It's the best app out there. And we're so happy that they sponsor us. So right, Valerie. So grateful for Tennis Pal. And and really all of our prayers going up for Esther uh, at this time, just hoping that she um, feels the love that we're trying to generate for her around the world and, and that she's encouraged and moving forward and can't wait to give her a hug very, very soon. So thank you guys so much for listening to Tennis Pal Chronicles. We really appreciate your time. Hope that this story touched you and inspired you. Hope that you live this day as the best day of your life um, and make this a very important moment to tell someone you love them uh, and make sure that, uh, that, that you're using your time in a way that really builds healthy and caring relationships as I think we all should. So, And I hope that all your serves are, are aces. aces. Thanks for listening.